Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at uh, Dogwood. As you've heard already this morning, we are in the middle of a series called 40 Days in the Word. The whole point of that is helping uh, to, to teach us or to remind us or to strengthen our faith as we learn to study God's Word uh, and, and apply it to our lives. And uh, if this is your first time here, don't be afraid. Um, you haven't missed out on totally everything. You can still get a lot out of this series on Sunday mornings that, that, that we're together. Let me do a very quick recap for you of, of where we've gone so far. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Keith taught us about how we have some incredible reasons, some great reasons that we can trust Scripture, that we can trust the Bible. Last week, Pastor Keith shared with us about how God wants to make a difference in our lives as we study Scripture. And today we're going we're gonna to continue in our series. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Now, I know that many of you use iPhones, iPads, Android devices, whatever other kind of tablet you might have. I'm going to ask that for the next three or four minutes that you not use that. This is going to make sense, so follow along with me if you'll turn those off. Um, if you don't have then a copy paper of your Bible... Um, that's okay too. In your notes section that you have in that bulletin is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. We're going to read that together in just a moment. But if you're moving around, um, I'm going to give you a fair warning that in about two seconds the lights are going to go out, okay? All right. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 together. You ready? Have you ever felt like that? you ever felt like you were trying to read scripture and it was as if you were in a dark room because you're reading the words and you don't understand them or you can't get them? Or maybe you feel like that you heard the words, but it felt like it was Charlie Brown's teacher going wah-wah, 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 wah. You're going, this is, this is hard name after hard name goes to hard place after hard place and I don't get what in the world is going on. Anybody ever had that feeling before? I have. I've been there as I've looked through scripture and gone, I don't get what this is saying. God, I know I'm supposed to be asking questions as I'm going through your scripture, but I'm struggling here. Let me read for you a couple of passages of scripture. This first one found in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And then in John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. And then John chapter 16, verse 15 says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And then now we can read Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 17, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. All of these passages of scripture are talking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our lives to help us to understand scripture. And as you saw then, as we learn about the Holy Spirit and hear from him, he will illuminate us so that we can know Scripture. Listen, we've all had those times where we felt like Charlie Brown was talking to us, right? 
We felt like we were in the dark. There's incredible news. It's this, God doesn't want us to stay in that dark room. God doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to, when, we're, when we find ourselves in, in that spot, God doesn't want us to stay there. Today we're talking about something called illumination. And here's what illumination means. It's letting the Holy Spirit show me the meaning of God's word and how it applies to my life. It's, it's letting the Holy Spirit work in my life in such a way that he shows me the meaning of God's word and how it applies to my life. Before Jesus went back to heaven after his resurrection, he said to his followers, I'm going to go back to heaven, but don't be afraid. I'm going to send my spirit to you. He's going to live with you. He's going to live in you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to give us power to help us see things in the Bible that you wouldn't otherwise see or know. He gives us power to interpret Scripture. You know, it's kind of like, you know, for those of you guys that have had young kids, uh, at some point in your life, you probably gave them toys at Christmas that had all the lights and sounds. And there was times where you went, I'm going to take that battery out, right? Because it was just annoying. But it was, that, it was the battery that gave that toy power to reach that toy's full potential that got your kid's attention with the lights and sounds. And so in a very real way, except for the annoying part of the toy, the Holy Spirit works kind of like a battery in our lives to give us power to reach our full potential to see and understand Scripture of what God is trying to communicate with us. Does that make sense? He gives us the power to interpret, to understand, to see things that we've never seen before. Now those verses that we read or that I read to you as the lights were off, here, let me recap what was going on in those verses. In John chapter 14, 26, Jesus is saying that, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you and remind you of the things that Jesus taught while Jesus was here on earth. And in four, John fourteen seventeen, the verse says, it is the Holy Spirit that leads us to understand what the truth of God's word is. In John 16, 15, Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to take all that Jesus knows and make it known to us. What an incredible promise. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, I want to read that for us again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious, glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You could put in the word there, illumination, so that you may know him better. Because you see, as we go through and we study scripture, do you know what the ultimate point of it is? It's to help us in, in a lot of different ways, but the ultimate point is to help us to know and love God more. The Bible says, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to give us that power. Listen, this, this book, even if you're reading out of your iPad or your iPhone or whatever it is that you might be reading, it, it is a supernatural book, isn't it? Do you know what that means? It means that as you're reading the, the words on this page, it means that you can be in a conversation with the author, with God. And you can be asking questions as you're reading. God, help me to understand this. Take the scales off my eyes. I need to know what's going on here. What is it you're trying to do in my life? What is it you're trying to teach me? How am I supposed to know you and love you more based on what I'm reading? And the incredible thing is this, is that God says, I'm going to answer that kind of prayer. God's going to answer that. Well, how does this work? That's a great question. I think the key is found uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let me read that passage for you. 
I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or illuminated in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That passage first speaks of our our spiritual eyes being opened. In other words, having the scales removed from them. A couple of years ago, my oldest son Caleb had decided for some reason that he wanted to get a leopard gecko. And we were like, no, you're not going to bring one of those in the house. Well, he spent weeks really studying all about leopard geckos. He knew, he knew how to care for them, and he came back. I mean, he was like in second grade or whatever, maybe third grade. And he, he had written this whole thing all about leopard geckos and how he was going to care for one. And we thought, all right, maybe we'll give him a shot. So he gets Steve, the leopard gecko. Phineas and Ferb fans know what I'm talking about with Steve, the leopard gecko. So Steve, he's a part of our family now. He's kind of grown on us a little bit, sort of, at least most of the people in my family. Maybe not so much me, but he's grown on most everybody in our family. And one of the things that, that, that we've learned about leopard geckos is that they shed. Now, I guess I sort of knew that, but the thing I didn't know about them is, is their eyeball shed. So as they, yeah, that's gross, I know. Sorry, I'm not going to get too much grosser than that, although I probably could. But when they scale, when they when they start to shed, their their eyeball is supposed to to take a layer off too, which is just it's fascinating to me. Well, something happened a couple of weeks ago. His eyeball didn't shed. The whole rest of him shed, and his eyeball didn't, like one eye, which is a problem for him. I don't know if it's a problem for all geckos, but it was a problem for him because he can only eat when he has two eyes because he has to be able to see the little worms that you put in there to move around. And out of one eye, he can't get it. He can't track it down. He can't eat. And so the thing was going to die. And we were like, man, what are we going to do? So we took him to the vet. No. Ah. It's rough when you got to take a lizard to the vet. Um, and so the vet, thankfully I wasn't there because I wouldn't have enjoyed seeing this, but the vet's taking this Q-tip and trying to pull the skin, the scale that's on his eye off. Right? And we're still working on that. He has to soak a few days, so y'all can pray for Steve the leopard gecko. But the point is that he had to have the scale removed for his, from his eye so that he could do what he's supposed to do to keep himself alive, right? Sort of in the same way, except without all the grossness. God says, the Holy Spirit, I will send the Holy Spirit to you to remove the scales off of your spiritual eyes so that when you study Scripture, you can see it and you can feed yourself. Is that not incredible? God will do that. We, we have scales on our eyes sometimes. And we need the Holy Spirit to, to take those from us. That passage also talked about the word enlightened or illumination. The Greek word there is photizo. We get the word photo from there. What's a photo? It's an image of light captured on a piece of paper. And to enlighten or to illuminate means that you shine the light on something so brightly that it helps you to see better. That, listen, that's one of the reasons why when you're reading Scripture, it could be a passage that you've read for years, and all of a sudden something new pops out to you. Why is it that? Anybody ever had that happen to them? Yeah, you'll be reading something. You're like, man, okay, I've read this story about Jesus 27,000 times, and I have never in my life seen that part of it. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. He is illuminating you so that you can know what he wants you to know at the time that he wants you to know it. It is incredible. So today we're going to look at what God does when he opens our spiritual eyes, and then we're going to look at the end how we cooperate with God for him to open our eyes, okay? Let me pray for us. Father God, as we go through the next few minutes, help us to see clearly what you're teaching us through your word. 
Open our eyes to see what you're doing and saying. God, help us to not be distracted by all the things that are going on in our lives. God, I've got a lot going on right now. And I know that in a room this size, there are a lot of people that do. So Lord, help me, help all of us to put all of those things aside, whether it's good or bad, put them aside and to focus in on you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you would transform our lives. Don't let us leave here the same. Lord, we're, we're meeting with you today, so transform us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So what does God do when he opens our eyes? Well, the first thing that God does when he opens our eyes is that he will help us to see the answers to my problems or to your problems. He will help me see the answers to my problem. Listen, we all have problems, don't we? In some way, shape, or form, some of us are going through some really big problems. Some of us are going through small problems. But regardless, we all have problems. And as we study scripture, God will show us the answers to our problems. It's an incredible story found in Genesis chapter 21. Um, We don't have time this morning for me to read the whole passage to you. So let me tell you what's going on here in this passage. This is the story of Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, and their sons Isaac and Ishmael. It's probably a familiar story to most of you in this room. But, but again, for those that don't know the story, let me tell you what's going on. God, God promises Abraham that he is going to be the father of a great nation, meaning that, meaning that Abraham was going to have many, 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 many descendants. And that's a promise that God made to Abraham. But at the age of 90, Abraham still has no son. And that's a little bit of a problem. But there's another problem. Sarah, his wife, she is past the childbearing years. She no longer physically, from a human standpoint, can have a child. And that's a huge problem because, see, there's this God that Abraham and Sarah love that has made them this promise that you are going to be the father of many. Yet he goes, my wife is old. She can't have a kid. God, what's going to go on? How's this going to happen? So Sarah says, you know what? i got an idea. I've got this, this servant of mine named Hagar. She can still have kids. So Abraham, why don't you go have a child with her? Now that to me sounds like they're inviting all kinds of trouble, right? Done it to you? But Abraham goes, okay. And so they go and they have a child. And the Bible tells us that Hagar conceives and and she has a child, beautiful baby, named Ishmael. And then a little bit later on, a little bit later on, a miracle happens. And Sarah does get pregnant with a little boy who is born that they call Isaac. And Sarah gets jealous. She gets upset because she's, she's looking now and she goes, wait, there's my son Isaac. There's Abraham's older son Ishmael. We've got to do something about this. And so she convinces Abraham to, to, to get rid of Hagar and, and Ishmael. And so we're going to pick, that, pick up the story then in Genesis chapter 21, verses 14 through 19. It says this, Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water 
So she went and filled the skin and gave with water and gave the boy a drink. God opened her eyes to, to a solution that was already there. I, don't, I, mean, it, I guess it could be that God created a well all of a sudden, but it's probably that the well was there, but she was in such anguish. She was focusing so much on her problem that the solution was really right there, and it took God opening her eyes to see the solution. I don't know what kind of problems you're facing right now. I know some people in this room, though, in a group this size, are facing some incredible problems. But here's some things that you, can, that you need to know and remember, that God is sovereign, meaning that, that God is good as he, and He is in control. No matter what you're facing, know that God is in control and He is good. Know that God loves you tremendously. And know that God can open your eyes by the Holy Spirit working in your life. The more you study Scripture, the more you read Scripture, the more He will give you answers to things that are going on. And, and to be sure, it's not always going to be an exact match. Like when I was in high school and I was having to pray that God would help me pass my Spanish uh, final. I didn't find a story of a young man in, in America that was praying to God to help him pass the Spanish final. But what I did was I found truths of Scripture and principles that applied to today. Now, not only will God show you answers to problems, but when He opens our eyes, I will see the barriers to my progress. Maybe there's something that you've been trying to accomplish, something that you've been wanting to do. Start a business. Start a family. Get out of debt. Some other goal or dream that you've been pursuing. And you keep bumping your head or running into an invisible wall. And maybe, maybe God needs to open your eyes. Here's another story of, uh, of, uh, from Scripture found in Numbers chapter 22. It's the story of a guy named Balaam. Now Balaam, he was a prophet of God. But Balaam decided that he wanted to help out the bad guys instead. God gets a little angry, rightly so, because he was supposed to be a prophet to, to God's people. And says, wait a minute, Balaam, you're supposed to be my representative but why are you helping out the bad folks? So Balaam starts on his journey to go talk with the bad folks and come up with plans with them. And God puts an angel in his path and blocks it. Only Balaam can't see the angel. He doesn't know what's going on. We pick up his story. Numbers chapter 22, verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry with her and beat her with his staff. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, which is amazing to me, amazing part of the story, the donkey says, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answers, which is even more amazing, because I would have gotten off and run. <laughs> you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And the donkey says to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No. 
he says. And then, check this out. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell down on his face. God opened his eyes and helped him to see that actually the barrier that was in his way was God stopping him from doing something that he shouldn't be doing. Now sometimes, sometimes your barrier might be God that's going, look, I don't, it's, now is not the time for you to do this. Other times the barrier might be something else. It might be some of your own fears. It might be someone else. It might be the evil one. But no matter what the barrier is that's in front of you, you have two options you can get mad like Balaam does and, and, and beat the donkey, so to speak. You can get mad and you can get mad at everyone. You can take it out on your family. You can take it out on people you work with. Or you can have choice number two, which is let God open your eyes to see if it is him that's blocking you. Because if it's him, then you need to go, all right, I'm going to stop. Whatever it is that's going on, I'm stopping. Or... He might show you what's going on and, and you can help, he'll help you come up with a plan to get around it if it's someone that's in your way or something in your way. Now, not only, does God, not only does God help us see solutions to problems or see ways that we can overcome barriers, but when God opens our eyes, we can see what may be attacking us and we can see the defense. We can see the defense for what is attacking us. Everyone feels like they're under attack at some point in life, right? Maybe you're there now. Maybe it's an illness that you have or someone in your family has and you feel like you're under attack. Maybe it's the economy. You've lost your job or you've lost your retirement. Maybe it's former friends who you thought loved you and cared for you and supported you. Maybe it was your family that's going, what are you doing going to church? That's just weird. Why would you do that? Maybe it's even an attack of your own thoughts and fears. Maybe it's an attack from the evil one. There's an incredible story found in 2 Kings chapter 6 that will help us to see God at work. So let me, again, I don't have time to read the whole chapter to you, but so let me tell you what's going on. In the Old Testament times, there was a nation called Aram. This nation was always at war with Israel. And every time they would attack Israel, God would tell the prophet Elisha the plans of the kingdom of Aram. And so that when, when that would happen... Israel would win because they would know the plans of what was going to happen. And so they were able to kind of mitigate what was happening. Now the king of Aram, he gets tired of this. He's going, wait a second. How is it that the Israelis always know what's going on? And so he brings his leaders together. And he says to them, there must be something wrong. One of you guys must be a spy. Who of you is telling? Who of you is going out? And they all say, wait, it's not of us. There's a guy named Elisha. And God speaks to Elisha and he tells, he tells the nation of Israel what your plans are. And so the king of Aram says, you know what? Boys, I want y'all to go get Elisha and bring him to me. Y'all go get him. And so the Bible says that the king of Aram sends his army to the city of Dothan to get Elisha. Now Elisha has a servant that works with him. And his servant is outside. Elisha's in his house. The servant's outside, and the, the scriptures say that his servant looks out and sees the army that has come to get Elisha. And the servant runs inside to speak with him and yell at him and say, Hey, dude, boss, we got to get out of here. There's a big, huge army out there that's ready to get us, that has come to get you. And what does Elisha 
say. He says, don't be afraid for there are more on our side than are on theirs. Now the servant has to be going, Elisha, I know you're a prophet of God. I get it. But, but I was just outside. I saw the big army that's out there and it's just me and you. What in the world are you, who are all these people? And Elisha then does something. He prays and says, God, or he says, oh Lord, Open his eyes, open my servant's eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked out and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Listen, do you know who that is that's there? That's the angel armies that are there that God sent to protect Elisha. They're there. Listen, there is a spiritual world. Now I know, listen, if you're not a follower of Christ, I know you're going, wow, okay, these guys have lost it. But listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to know there is a spiritual world out there that we don't see. And the scriptures talk about the angel armies that are there, and they do stop evil from happening often. Now, evil still happens. Bad stuff still happens. But very often, God works in a way that they stop it. And when, they, when it doesn't work out like we would like it to, there's always a plan and a purpose behind all of it that we may never know until we get to heaven of why all of that happens. But in this case, God delivers Elisha. He protects him. And if you read the rest of the story, God provides in such a way that Israel and the army, the army from uh, the bad guys, sorry, um, they shared a great feast. So what's the point here? When we have things that are attacking us, when we're afraid and overwhelmed, we can know that God can open our eyes to know that there are that His army is there protecting us. But more than that, that leads us to the fourth thing that God does when he opens our eyes, and it's this. When God opens our eyes, I see that God is walking with me. Not just his armies. Now, his armies are cool, but God is walking with me. And I just don't see it all the time. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, but maybe you feel alone. And you feel like that whatever battle you're facing right now, you feel like you're all by yourself. You feel like you've been abandoned by your family. You feel like you've been abandoned by God. And maybe you think right now God is far away and he doesn't care. And listen, with all of the love and grace I can muster in me, I just need to tell you you're wrong. God is not far from you. God is right there with you. He is walking through these tough times of your life right now. Now, as a matter of fact, he may actually be carrying you through this time. Our story comes from Luke chapter 24. This is the story of what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, a lot had happened just before Jesus' resurrection. Jesus had been arrested. He had been whipped and tortured. He had been beaten. He had been crucified. He died and they buried him in a tomb. And for the disciples, they were crushed. They thought, this was the Messiah. This was the promised one. This is the one that we were looking for. This man was supposed to lead us and to transform us, yet he's dead and he's lying in a tomb. What in the world is going on? And they were afraid for their lives because they also thought that the authorities were going to come after them. And then, on the first Easter morning, some women go to see that the tomb is empty. They go there because they're going to prepare Jesus' body or care for it. And they go, oh my goodness, it's empty. And better than just seeing empty, there's an angel there there that tells them that Jesus is risen. So these disciples, they they leave, excuse me, the women leave and go tell the disciples, Jesus is gone, he is risen. 
And the disciples are going, well, that's great, but we haven't seen him yet. And the rumor then starts to spread that Jesus is risen. But no one again has seen him. And then later that day, the couple of the disciples, they're walking on the road to Emmaus. Remember, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're afraid for their lives. And the scriptures talk about Jesus showing up and talking with them, yet they don't recognize that it's Jesus walking with them. And then in verse 31 of Luke chapter 24, it says, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus was walking with them and they didn't even know it. Again, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you've lost. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's an important relationship and you're grieving and you feel alone. But let me share with you, you have never been alone. God is with you right now. You need to have your eyes opened to see him. Now all of that probably leads you to another question. Great. How do I get this kind of illumination? How do I cooperate with God? And I want to be abundantly clear and say it's God's work in our lives. But we do get to cooperate with him in that work. And I want to quickly give you five things that God does. Or five things that we can do to cooperate with God. Number one is this. You must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order for him to illuminate your mind as you study Scripture. If you don't start there, you're missing. If you try just to dive into Scripture on your own, going, okay, I need all the answers to my life here. I need you to show me all the, all the answers to my problems. It's not going to happen. God first has to pull the scales off of your life for you to become a follower of Him. You'll only see the Bible from a human point of view unless you're a follower of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And listen, if that's you this morning, in just a few moments, I'm going to tell you how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? And become his follower. But there's a second thing that we do to cooperate with God so that he will open our eyes so that we can see. It's this. You have to ask God in faith to open your eyes. By faith, you ask God to open your eyes. Listen, God is a good God. God is a loving God. God has promised us, you can pray this prayer found in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God is a good and loving God. If you pray that prayer, he's not going to go, nope, not for you. God is going to answer that prayer. There's a third thing that you do and that I can do to cooperate with God. It's this. It's approach God with a humble attitude. This means that we can't go into God's presence thinking that we've got it already all figured out and we're just coming to Him to bless our plans. We have to come to Him with a humble attitude knowing that God knows infinitely more than you and I. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Scripture there tells us that God will show us the way to go. There's a fourth thing that we do to cooperate with God and it's this. We ask God to cleanse our heart of sin and conflict. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God 
Purity here does not mean perfection. Purity here means that I am caught up today on my confession between any problems that are between me and God, any sin that's in my life. And I'm also making sure and asking God to show me, is there any conflict between me and someone else that I need to go make right? For scriptures tell us that if there is, that we need to go deal with that and deal with the conflict and handle the conflict. And we need to make sure that we're, on, that we're asking God for forgiveness for our own sin as well. And there's a fifth and final thing that we do to cooperate with God so that he can transform our lives and open our eyes so that we can see and know him more. It's this. Commit in advance to do what God says. Commit in advance to do what God says. No matter what he says, you've got to have the attitude that, God, I'm going to obey you. You see, when we walk into God's presence and say, God, I just need an option. I need you to give me another option that I'm going to consider. I don't think God gives us the other option. I think we've got to have that attitude that James chapter 1, says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You've got to have that attitude. God, I'm going to obey you. No matter what your call is on my life, I'm going to obey you. Now let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. For those of you in this room that don't yet know Jesus, listen, it it really does. It starts with making sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to lead you in a prayer that, that you can agree and pray along with so that you can know Him. Pray something like this. Jesus, I open my life to you. I need to be born again. I need to be spiritually renewed. I need you to forgive me and save me from my sin and my separation from you. God, maybe I've even known about you for a while. I've heard about you, but I've never put my faith and trust in you. I've never asked you to be my leader or my forgiver. So God, right now, this day, I'm asking you, to come into my life and be my leader and my forgiver. God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for me choosing to go my own way. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.